The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to welcome veterans and active military personnel who are tuning in from remote locations over the Internet, and also wish a very special listener, Mark DeLorence, a happy birthday on this 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act. In just a moment, civil rights leader and former candidate for the Democratic nomination for the presidency, Mr. Jesse Jackson, will be joining us to talk about the benefits and the conditions needed to live in a true meritocracy. He'll also weigh in on the upcoming presidential election. But before Mr. Jackson joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Jesse Lewis Burns was born in Greenville, South Carolina. Jackson was accepted to the University of Illinois on a football scholarship and later transferred to North Carolina A&T, where he graduated with a degree in sociology. He then attended the Chicago Theological Seminary, which he later left to, left to join Martin Luther King at the forefront of the civil rights movement. During this period, Jackson is known for directing Operation Breadbasket, a successful job placement agency for black Americans. Sadly, he was working with Mr. King in Memphis on the day Dr. King was assassinated. I also want to add that Mr. Jackson completed his master's degree from the Chicago Theological Seminary three decades after leaving the institution. Ongoing education has been a consistent theme throughout his life. In 71, Jackson founded the organization People United to Serve Humanity, better known as PUSH, which later merged with another organization he's also credited with, the Rainbow Coalition. It didn't take long before Jackson's talent for peaceful negotiation found its political footing. He was dispatched to Syria, where he secured the release of American pilot Navy Lieutenant Robert Goodman without incident and then to Cuba to extract 22 Americans who were being held by Castro. In 91, on the eve of the Persian Gulf War, Jackson met with Saddam Hussein and successfully brokered the release of Hussein's human shield, which consisted of many British and American nationals. And in 99, he also served the, uh, secured the release of three U.S. prisoners of war in Kosovo. And given this track record, it's no surprise that Jackson sought the Democratic nomination for the presidency two times. And while he did not prevail, there's no question as to whether Jackson played a big role in forging the party's agenda. I'll also add that Mr. Jackson has authored several books and hosted CNN's Both Sides with Jesse Jackson. It's my pleasure to welcome to the program acclaimed civil rights advocate, Mr. Jesse Jackson. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Jackson. Good to be with you on this glorious historic day. It is a glorious day, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. If it's all right with you, I'd like to open our conversation today by citing a few facts and then asking you to comment on them. Unemployment for black Americans is around 14% and has consistently remained double the unemployment of white Americans. The number of black citizens living in poverty is up from 25% in the previous administration to 27%. And between 2010 and 13, the median household income for black families plunged 9%. And finally, only 1.7% of all small business loans in 2013 went to black-owned businesses. So my question for you, Mr. Jackson, is this. What conclusion should we draw from these statistics? Well, there are targeted patterns of race discrimination without protection from the law. For example, 
of the 9 million homes that were foreclosed, about 3 million were black and brown, they found in court that the banks had targeted student clustered black and brown homes, uh, and they were fined for it, and then they were bailed out. But they were bailed out, not linked to lending up the reinvestments. The banks off are washing capital, but the people who lost their homes, often that was the only business they plunged into poverty, and that's a pattern of discrimination. When you lose those jobs, you lose your tax base, you can't fund education. Uh, the second is that the automotive companies were found to have been overcharging blacks and browns, uh, and they were fined just last week, 25 to $50 million, uh, and this was a pattern. Uh, you also have cases like Silicon Valley where companies are not honoring EEOC and contract compliance laws. In some sense, blacks are not protected by law from patterns of racial discrimination. Well, we have laws to protect uh, people of color. Is this just a case where we're not enforcing those laws, or are they the wrong laws? I mean, I, I'm trying to get my arm around this. Well, the laws are not being enforced. Most of the Silicon Valley companies, for example, these companies have government contracts. They are government standards. Uh, of the top 25 companies, we found 189 members, 36 white women, three blacks, and one Latino. Uh, in the C-suites, around 370, three blacks, three Latinos. On the jobs, around 2% across the board, uh, and less than 1% investment in development. On, and these on, on the STEM tech side, on the non-tech side, lawyers, ad agencies, and the like, virtually none. So these patterns of exclusion should have been checked long time ago by either the Civil Rights Commission and our Equal Opportunity uh, Commission. Now, you're a strong advocate for a meritocracy in America where people rise according to their merit. But there's a lot of things that go into merit, things like a great education. So what do you say to people who point to a black high school dropout rate that's twice of white students? I mean, it's hard to have a meritocracy if the scales are tipped before you even get into the workplace. Well, that's true. Effort and excellence means a lot. Inheritance and access means more. You look at Baltimore, for example, right now, a lot of focus because of the violence on, on police. Well, 80% of the police do not live in Baltimore. They live on, between Virginia and New York. Uh, the same is true with, with the firemen. So they come in not as neighbors, but as occupiers. Secondly, 18,000 vacant homes are abandoned lots. Well, when you lose that many homes because of foreclosures, uh, you lose drugstores and you lose grocery stores and you lose medical clinics. Uh, when that happens, they, then they stop the investment in targeted jobs and skilled trade training. The investment is down on the riverbank where the TIF money goes and the um, um, pension money goes and the uh, government contracts go. So just a pattern of those who invested in develop, those who are not invested in do not develop. It's not, it's not natural. It's normal, but it's not natural. Well, now we know, uh, and, and you are a graduate of sociology, we know that there are thousands of studies that have been done that show that if there is no migration path, no hope, no, uh, no plan for assimilation, that uh, these neighborhoods become hubs for violence and upheaval. Of course, that's true. When you have a situation like Chicago, for example, I now live where you have uh, drugs and there's no there's no gun shops in the city of Chicago. You have guns in, drugs in, jobs out. So you have unemployment around thirty percent. Uh, you close fifty drugstores, uh, fifty public schools, close drugstores and seventy five uh, gro- uh, grocery stores. Uh, there's no uh, units for uh, emergency care. This abandoned zones. There is no plan for urban reconstruction. You know, you look at these same kids who come out of those neighborhoods on the athletic field, they perform very well. Why do they perform so well on the athletic field, black and white together? It's whenever the playing field is even, 10 yards for all first downs. And the rules are public, the goals are clear, the referee is fair, and the scores are transparent, we do very well. When the playing field is not even, the rules are not public, the goals are not clear, we don't do so well. That's exactly right. In fact, I had Tavis Smiley on the program last week, and he said that there, and I love this quote, by the way, because it was so visual. He said, there's a freeway, a highway into poverty, and a sidewalk to get out. 
And I think that pretty much sums up the frustration in the situation. Now, we're going to take our first break, but stay right where you are. When we come back, we're going to find out whether electing the first black president and taking down the Confederate flag in South Carolina really pacifies real progress, or is it progress? You're listening to the Costa Report. I'm here today with Scott Caraccioli. Where can people go to get Caraccioli Cellars wines? The best place is your computer and go to CaracccioliCellars.com and that's C-A-R-A-C-C-I-O-L-I, Cellars with a C. Or if you happen to be in the Carmel area, visit our tasting room in downtown on Dolores. We're also available in many restaurants. We're distributed in about 15 states and we direct ship to about 30. So there's a good chance that we can get it to your door. And I will tell you that the easiest way to get the wine is to go straight to the website. It makes it so convenient to have it arrive at your doorstep. I cannot tell you how many dinner parties I've had where even though you're not that far away from me, (laughs) I've ordered by mail so that the wine would arrive in time for my dinner party. And it always has. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea. Or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone 831-622-7722. Hi, I'm Amy Tobin, cookbook author and culinary expert. Strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Dole has a bounty of berries ripe for the picking. Fresh berries are not only delicious, but some of the most powerful disease-fighting foods available. Researchers have found that berries have some of the highest antioxidant levels of any fresh fruits. So add a handful or two of your favorite berries to your next meal and enjoy their nutritional benefits and natural sweetness in all of your dishes, from salads to desserts and everything in between. For fresh tips and ideas from Dole's berry experts, visit berries.dole.com. And be sure to check out the pages of mouthwatering recipes. Whether it's a sweet and savory blueberry cranberry chicken salad or a simple strawberry sorbet, Dole has the perfect berry to inspire your next berrylicious dish. Ben Loman Market. Want low prices, great savings, and excellent customer service? Look no further than Ben Loman Market. Andy Gustafson. My job is the produce manager at Ben Loman Market. I do uh, all the ordering, quality control, bringing in new items, making sure everything is nice out on the rack for the customer to buy. I have worked here 25 years. I personally love the customers we have. I love working for the owners I have. And between comparing those two together, it's a real easy, nice, fun job. My favorite is apples. Uh, uh, Any kind of apple, I love eating apples. My favorite vegetable is probably Italian squash. We have plenty of fresh product, both in produce, meat, deli. We have, I think, a very uh, warm crew, and we really try to make the customer happy. We really appreciate our customers. Visit BenLomanMarket.com, a proud member of Think Local First, Santa Cruz County. Hi, I'm Kay Swirling from KSEO in Santa Cruz. I'm 94 years old, and I want to draw your attention to a very important website, criticalhealthnews.com, that I strongly urge all listeners to visit. This website contains valuable health information that the pharmaceutical industry does not want you to know. Most of the prescription drugs you hear about on TV these days have side effects that are worse than the disease or condition itself, you know, like death. To me, it makes much more sense to give my body all of the 90 essential nutrients it needs to live long and stay healthy. There are some amazing articles, videos, and audio lectures by Dr. Joel Wallach and pharmacist Ben Fuchs that I believe everybody should hear. Go to criticalhealthnews.com. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is civil rights activist and former presidential candidate, Mr. Jesse Jackson. One of the facts that uh, is hard to ignore is that almost every metric 
has slid backwards for the black community under the first black president's administration, causing many people to wonder whether this was more symbolic than anything else. Were we unrealistic about what the first black president could do to level the playing field? Well, let's look at what has happened, what needs to be done. For example, uh, when he came into office, we lost 800,000 jobs that month. There has not been a net loss of jobs a month since he has been president. There has not been the targeted jobs that, that needs to be targeted because rising boats, rising tides don't lift all boats, particularly those who are stuck at the bottom with semen in them. Second, that there are those who have health care now who did not have it before. I'm in South Carolina today. Yes. There are um, a million people in poverty, a fourth of the state. So 250,000 have no health insurance, uh, for example, uh, and about half white and half black. And this state rejects $12 billion in affordable health care. Now, a state with a $7 billion budget rejects $12 billion the nine-to-one ratio, then they, they'll accept federal money for highways and airports and seaports, but not for health care. If, if they had that to be enough, you could build in the rural areas health clinics, uh, which is construction, about 45,000 jobs involved. That would lift people black and white out of poverty. And, and so that, that becomes a fact. He also put forth a proposition to to do fast rail, uh, and it was rejected by Walker in Milwaukee in, in Wisconsin, rejected in Florida. Fast rail that America to make the steel, lay the rail, build the cars, connect small town, large town. I Many of the suburbs do not want fast rail because they think well, people in the city will, will come there and will work there and begin to live there. So there are some mitigating circumstances. There is some unfinished business on the racial justice agenda and gender inequality agenda. But I think, given the odds, he's done quite well. But isn't there a sense that you know, I don't know, and maybe it's just me, and maybe it's my age. You know, I just turned 60 this year, and I've been living with racial inequality all my life, and I'm very saddened by the lack of progress. And I guess that in my heart, seeing a black president be elected felt like, um, it, it felt like such an opportunity, like not just a door opening, a, a barn door opening. It seems to me that... Uh, if there were, a, like like uh, Lyndon Johnson was able to do targeted poverty, and he yes. opened, opened it up in Appalachia, he was smart enough to whiten the face of poverty and deracialize the debate, and that warm poverty helped everybody black and white alike. So far, nothing as targeted as urban reconstruction has come down, and that really is unfinished business. What happens when the urban policy in some sort reflects our trade policy? Jobs out. Uh, going to cheap labor markets and poverty coming in. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Silicon Valley companies are more interested in hiring and recruiting H-1B workers from India than they are training youth here at home to do those same jobs. So there's a connection between unemployment at home and our trade policy, for example. But I, 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 it's fair to say that there are more people with health insurance than had it before, even though some want, they want affordable care, but they don't want Obamacare. Yes. That's, like, that's like folks who want the omelet but don't want the egg just mean and, and frustrated in that way. How can a state like South Carolina refuse $12 billion affordable care, which will expand the medical services uh, and expand employment rationally? How can uh, Georgia re- reject $14 billion or Texas $100 billion that would lift so many people out of poverty and expand their life options? Well, let's talk about symbolism for a moment, like the taking down of the Confederate flag. I mean, that to me seemed more like a symbolic gesture than anything that's going to improve opportunities and raise the standard of living for for um, Americans of color. I mean, do you think that too much of our attention is diverted on gestures like this instead of rolling up our shirt sleeves and really attacking the problem? Well, I think symbolism is important. If, if one were... If the Jewish community saw the swastika flag hanging up, they couldn't see anything else but that flag because it represents such an insult. It's so much indignity attached. So the flag had to come down. But the but the Confederate agenda has not come down because the agenda represents not only separation of race, but separation of resources. So now you go to the, to the symbolism, to the substance of bank lending, which is down. This, this, this 30% African-American uh, of the uh, state contract, less than 1%. That's the substance of the matter. 
state third was an African-American, three car dealerships in the whole state. But that's exactly my point, is we take the flag down and everybody, you know, goes home and calls it a day. Well, we can't do that. That's why Rainbow Push today had a press conference in, in, in Columbia. We're going to have a, a statewide meeting in Columbia on the 28th of August, the celebration of the 28th of August, March of 1963, focusing on, A, uh, the Voting Rights Act being protected again, because right now it's made vulnerable with the absence of Section 4 being enforced. Uh, the Medical uh, Act uh, being expanded and included. Yes. Uh, fair share of contracts, the commitment to end poverty, and so much violence. Because in, in a moral sense, we have learned to survive apart. We must now unlearn that lesson and learn to live together as brothers and sisters in a civilized way. It was a beautiful moment in South Carolina when that flag came down to see blacks and whites rallying together. But you can't just rally around removing the flag and not remove the agenda of separation of resources. Yeah, this is what really bothers me. I feel like there's so much media attention on the symbolic act, and then there's no follow-up. You know, taking a flag down, electing a black president, that's just the beginning of a process. Mm-hmm. And, and I worry that uh, we, we kind of all go home and feel good, as though that indicates progress. Um, and and I, I just I worry a little bit about that. And speaking of symbolism, I mean, today today marks the 50th anniversary of the Voting Rights Act, which... Uh, should have paved the way for uh, more uh, voter participation, but we now see uh, new roadblocks being laid. Well, what happened was in 1965, we got the Protected Voting Rights Act for the federal intervention. Not only did blacks have the right to vote, white women couldn't serve on juries. 18-year-olds were serving in Vietnam could not vote. You couldn't vote on college campuses. You could not vote bilingually. So it took us 25 years to fulfill the promise of the Voting Rights Act and because of that, you had more black-white participation in sharing influence districts. But in 2013, the Supreme Court removed the enforcement factor from it. Yes. And which allowed the uh, right wing to uh, marginalize white Democrats out of the Congress and stack and pack black and brown districts. So now you have basically a white Republican Party, a basically black and a few white Democratic Party. And that's not a good thing. Uh, that Section 4 Enforcement Voting Rights Act must be revisited, must be revisited. Right. Well, we could take a simple thing um, like, uh, you know, I don't know, um, shortening the the time frame to to register to vote. We can take things like um, like same-day registration, those kinds of things, and they all seem to be uh, reducing the number of people of color that can vote. So we're going to talk about that. We're, we have got to take a short break here, but when we come back, let's, let's talk about that voting problem that we're facing right now, 50 years after the Voting Rights Act was passed. You're listening to the Costa Report. Now, if you've been listening to the Costa Report, you know that I'm on the air each and every week for one reason. It's become very difficult to separate fact from unproven beliefs. And the media, who we used to be able to rely on to tell us the difference, has become one of the worst offenders of all when it comes to making a distinction. But in addition to being on the air, I've written a book which explains why losing a grip on the facts is so dangerous. It eventually culminates in irrational public policy, something many of us worry about today. So I'm urging you to go to RebeccaCosta.com and get your copy of The Watchman's Rattle, an eye-opening book which, after the first few chapters, you'll be telling all your friends about. That's The Watchman's Rattle at RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, RebeccaCosta.com. And remember, The Watchman's Rattle. 
People do not like going to the dentist unless they're going to this dentist. Hello, folks. Michael Olson here with Dr. Guy Peabody. Dr. Guy, whenever I go by your office, I see people with big smiles on their face. What's the secret? I'm glad you're seeing everybody smiling. You know, we like to make people smile on the inside as well as on the outside. What do you mean by smiling on the inside, doctor? Well, we just treat people the way we want to be treated. We befriend our patients. Uh, They're not really our patients. They're more our family. We have a good time. We want to provide, obviously, an excellent quality service and stability in our care. But, you know, I'll be working throughout the day and I'll hear laughter down the hallway between my hygienists and her patients and the front desk. I'll have people chuckling and people are a little reluctant to kind of head out the door. They're having a really good time. Call Dr. Guy Peabody for our consultation today and wake up to a great smile tomorrow. 831-457-0343 or visit drpeabody.com. Hi, it's MZ. I want to share some really personal information with you. It's a fact that as we age, it becomes more challenging to do certain things that used to be much easier for us to do when we were younger. I'm 63 now, and I can't hop across the beach rocks that I used to do with ease 20 years ago. It's clear to me that at some point in the future, I will probably need help doing things I do with ease by myself today. My wonderful mom Kay is at that point now. At 30 plus years older than me, Kay is still able to give great motherly advice just as always and voice excellent radio spots. But she now needs some assistance doing things around the house and keeping her mind and body engaged. Thank God for Jackie Tucker and her wonderful staff at Care from the Heart in-home services here in Santa Cruz. In business for the past 18 years. Entrusting a loved one to the care of someone outside the family can certainly be a stressful experience. Not with Care from the Heart. Every associate is competent, professional, and sensitive as can be. What sets them apart is the prompt response when care is needed. If you or a loved one needs help, a little or a lot, at home or in an assisted living facility, I strongly recommend Care from the Heart in-home services. Call 476-8316 or online at carefromtheheart.net. Call 476-8316 or carefromtheheart.net. Please tell them MZ sent you. Care from the Heart in-home service will serve your loved one with dignity and respect. This Sunday at 8 a.m. on AM 1080 KSCO, join Ken Michaels for America's top financial advice show, Mortgage Makeovers. Ken is the number one expert in mortgage lending, real estate, debt settlement, loan modifications, and credit repair. Mortgage Makeovers is brought to you by Onyx Lending, creating a totally stress-free loan experience. Contact Onyx at 844-GO-TO-ONYX or at onyxlending.com. Don't miss Mortgage Makeovers this Sunday morning at 8 a.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Jesse Jackson. And before the break, we were talking about the Voting Rights Act and the need to fulfill the promise of this landmark piece of legislation. Uh, Currently, 25% of the black voting population report that they are affected by the need for specific identification compared to only 8% of white voters. And we also know that states that will allow Election Day registration have a 10% greater turnout than, uh, than states that don't, and there are fewer and fewer states that are allowing that. It feels as though, by every measure, uh, that uh, the the deck's being stacked. The forces that once denied the right to vote never stopped trying to diminish it. Once we got the right to vote, we found out why white women couldn't serve on juries. 18 years couldn't vote. You couldn't vote bilingually. You couldn't vote on campuses. Then the use of gerrymandering, annexation, at-large, role purging. These schemes have never stopped. Finally, they got to the Supreme Court to determine we were voting enough now and they needed more protections. Why can't we just have automatic age 18 voter registration as citizens? At age 18, your identity is, is known, you know, who you are, you're an American citizen. To remove all the politics out of registration, for example, uh, have, you know, enough time for on-site, same-day registration. We have that technology. Gene, if you were to write today, go downstairs and get a ticket. While they were writing that ticket, if you, didn't have, if you had not paid one in Miami or Seattle, you would get the registration right now. So there's enough known about each of us to remove all of the hocus-pocus out of registration and easy access. Now, 
You've gone even farther. You've called for the Constitution to be amended to include the right to vote. Today, the Constitution only prohibits discriminating on the basis of race, sex, and age. But everything else is pretty much left to the states. Isn't that right? It, and, that's, and that's the ultimate crippling factor, is that we need the constitutional right to vote, but you don't, we, do not have, we only have the states' right to vote. In 1870, uh, uh, when the voting rights, we were first able to vote after 246 years, as long as we were protected by the troops, voting took place of the whole new day in the South. And they removed the troops and removed protections. And the next, between 1873, uh, 1883, and 1950, there were 4,200 lynchings of blacks. 4,200 lynchings. Politics of terror drove blacks away from the polls until we finally got made to some kind of comeback in 1965, 195 years later, should I say. Whenever the Voting Rights Act is protected by the federal government, it works. When it's unprotected, the states run, 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 run amiss. Mm-hmm. Let's switch gears here for a moment and talk about the upcoming <laughs> presidential election. Now, you, you go you go way back with Bernie Saunders, who uh, endorsed you during your 1988 candidacy. And Saunders also marched with Martin Luther King and has a long civil rights history, yet Black Lives Matter pushed... Uh, Saunders on the issue of police brutality and racial equality, and any, you know, I got to admit, he fumbled a bit. Yeah, any chance you can step in and help him out? Well, I, I've not made a decision to get directly involved in that campaign at this point. Suffice so it, Brenda's a good man. He endorsed me. I might add, he did. Woman, and I, I'm I'm excited about the fact that Manny's in there to have a vigorous uh, Democratic campaign would be better than having just a sole campaign campaign on, on the trail. Miss Goss, I'm going to have to leave now. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't, I, I, I didn't realize that we were going to lose you so soon, but I do appreciate your time. Before you leave, uh, let me ask you one more question. Um, what does a presidential candidate need to do to connect with the black community? Address real needs. People need jobs, education, health care, and one to the rules. When we are protected by law, we do amazingly well. Once we've got the right to vote protected by law, we voted. Uh, when we have, we get jobs, we, we work. We have schools. We, we, we go to school. Uh, the affordable health care should apply to all. And I think some of these instances, it's, it's not just black and white. It's wrong and right. Let's have a full care for every American, and let's have a trade policy that does not drain jobs that balances the economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you, what, what is it that's keeping us from doing those things. I mean, what what's in the way here? Sometimes it's narrow, narrow focus politics. When you have, you can just buy, you can purchase campaigns with this, uh, with this uh, billion dollar campaigns. It's it's an inherently corrupt process, and only those who get the most money get the most attention. It's it's inherently undemocratic. Hmm. Hmm. I, you know, I think it's going to be very interesting because all of the campaign messages seem to leave people of color out. I don't hear it being addressed. I only hear it being addressed in terms of immigration law, and that's a concern. There are more poor whites than there are poor blacks, whites, blacks, and browns alike. Let's address the issue of poverty and pain and violence. That's the moral the correct thing to do. Let's go bottom up, not just top down, all right? Yes. And, uh, thanks to you. Yes, well, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the program today. So I am now joined by uh, Bill Graff and also uh, Charles Friedman, who are veteran news reporters, and we've been listening to uh, the Reverend Jesse Jackson. Uh, so uh, what did you think, Charles? Is there anything that jumped out? Well, a number of things. Uh, gee whiz, I, I took a few notes here. I, I, I can't trust myself to, to recall. It's interesting, right at the outset, uh, well, you asked about why African Americans weren't doing all that well in a modern economy, and uh, we were told, well, it's because laws that you alluded to that guarantee equality, treatment, etc., these laws aren't being enforced. And I think to myself, I have my arguments as a conservative with Barack Obama and Eric Holder, the recent attorney general, but I can't bring myself to believe that these men would be uninterested in assuring that civil rights laws were vigorously enforced. I think what Mr. Jackson ought to be doing is looking a little bit more deeply at the fact that so many blacks in America today are not competitive for the jobs he was talking about because their schools are 
leagues worse than you find in other parts of the country because their communities are broken, because their families are broken. And I would submit that this is a result of policies, many of which he talked about war on poverty policies, etc. There are plenty of people nowadays, on the, even on the left in America, who look at these things and say, these were well-meaning programs, but we now look at the results and we see that we have wrought something terrible. We need to turn the page. We need to look at these things all over again. Jesse Jackson seemed to me to be a voice speaking from way, way in the past. Well, I think this is all about the cart and the horse. You know, I, I mean, w- which is the cart and which is the horse? I, I think what you're saying is, and and by the way, uh, I I know a lot of the largest, the CEOs of the largest companies in Silicon Valley, and Jesse Jackson once a year comes out and reminds them that their their employee base is not diverse. He's absolutely right; it's not. You know, I think uh, something along the neighborhood of seventy percent or eighty percent of the population of Google is white. Exactly. Okay, so, but, but, let me contrast that against the Mm -hmm. fact that if you go to the HR managers, right, the HR directors of each of these Silicon Valley companies, they will tell you they have tons of jobs they can't fill, that they haven't been able to fill for years. Right. Because of no, because the people that apply for them are not qualified. Right. And they are not going to shoulder the burden of educating and training them. They don't feel that that's their responsibility. This, They'd rather go to India and get some this, get a PhD. This is what I'm talking about. Bill? Well, I, I, I just wanted to point out that Jesse made a point when he said uh, that, uh, you know, the people would rather hire uh, workers from India who are already trained than to train them themselves. And you made the, you made the point I was just about to make that, uh, you know, it's not... It's not uh, Google's. It's not place the employer's responsibility. Exactly. They they should you know if they they should be able to hire workers that are already trained. And look, business, exactly. and whose fault is that? And I'm going to be real honest. Businesses care about diversity, but not if it affects their bottom line. I'd like to. That's, uh, that's where they they draw the line. When we come back from the break, I'd like mm-hmm. you to explain what has happened today. Uh, why we only had uh, the Reverend for a half an hour. Yeah, I know it's a little bit unusual, and I'll be happy it's, to it's talk about it. It's kind of an in interesting next, situation. Yeah, yeah, well, I'll talk about it in the next hour. Uh, we have to. We're going to have to uh, shortly take our second break. We're we're breaking from format today because uh, the Reverend couldn't stay for the full hour, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I am fortunate to have by my side here in the studio Charles Friedman and Bill Graff, and so uh, I think it's going to be a good show. Stay right where you are. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Costa Report. Big data is changing the way organizations work. From data-driven marketing and ad targeting to the connected car, big data is fueling product innovation and new revenue opportunities. It's creating a culture in which business and IT leaders join forces to realize value from all data. They infuse analytics everywhere and make speed a differentiator, gaining competitive advantage from faster, more informed decisions. Leading organizations are creating new business models, developing new roles, and defining new big data architectures, including an infrastructure that can manage and process exploding volumes of structured and unstructured data, in motion as well as at rest, while protecting data privacy and security. Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash bigdata today. In the opening of All Quiet on the Western Front, Eric Maria Remark wrote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all, an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will simply try to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Today, Project Healing Waters offers men and women that have escaped the shells of war the opportunity to heal by teaching our returning veterans to fly fish in some of the most beautiful, tranquil rivers in our country. These natural surroundings have the ability to restore the human spirit, and with your help, Project Healing Waters is able to reach out to thousands of our men and women in the military every year. For information on how you can help, go to projecthealingwaters.org. 
Please give and give generously to those who have put their lives on the line for you. That's projecthealingwaters.org. Help those who have escaped the shells of war and need your help to come all the way back. The sun is high in the sky, which means it's time to get your RV and trailers ready to roll. Hi, I'm Rena Mills, owner of RV Service Center of Santa Cruz, your locally owned RV parts and repair center with over 38 years of service to the Central Coast community. In addition to RV repairs, our qualified staff services and maintains boat, horse, and utility trailers, in addition to toy haulers. We also restore vintage RVs and work hand-in-hand with all insurance companies to ensure that your RV is restored to its original condition. RV owners, RV Service Center of Santa Cruz will now match your insurance deductible with a credit voucher for future parts and service. It's like you pay nothing for your insurance repair. Get your RV and trailers ready to roll with the help of your friends at RV Service Center. You'll find us easy to reach and easy to use at 2525 Mission Street, Cross Streets, Mission and Swift Streets in Santa Cruz. Call us at 831-427-0881 or rvscsc.com. Hey everybody, Dave Michaels here inviting you to join us on board Flight 1080 every Monday through Friday from 4 to 7 p.m. We might take the bus, we might take the plane, we might take the blimp, we might take the UFO, you never know. But one thing that you can guarantee is that we're going to have fun. Avoid the stress of drive time and join us every Monday through Friday, 4 to 7 p.m. right here on AM 1080 KSCO Santa Cruz. Check us out online at KSCO.com or download our app from the App Store. Times are changing and cannabis prohibition is coming to an end. With legalization approaching, it is obvious the time to talk cannabis is now. The Cannabis Connection opens a dialogue around all themes cannabis. Our team delivers the latest in cannabis research, news, industry, culture, and legal developments. The Cannabis Connection, connecting the dots to all things pot. Join us Friday nights from 8 to 9 on KSCO AM 1080. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today was Jesse Jackson, who had to leave the program uh, midway. But I am very fortunate to have Charles Friedman and news veteran Bill Graff with me in the studio. And uh, we were talking a little bit about the the discussion with Jesse Jackson. Now, I know, Bill, you brought up what's the backstory on why Jesse Jackson had to leave. Yeah, um, I think it's important that the, uh, the listeners uh, know what happened. Because this is an unusual situation. Well, we're we're where breaking with format today, for sure. Um, and, and, that's okay, and I think that's okay. Uh, I, I, I don't like to say things about my guest, as everybody knows, uh, when they're not on the air with me. But I, have to, I, I do have to say this. Uh, we, we, we've got a great crew here. I, I have one of the best producers that radio has ever created. Uh, and I, I bow to my producer. Yeah, he's produced for some very hard oh. production guests. <laughs> and and we and we've got the best board ops and engineers and everyone. You know, it, it's true. These kinds of programs don't come off without having a full team. So we generally will book our guest what ninety, one hundred twenty days in advance. And why do we do that? So we can prep. So we're not just uh, doing a program like some people do. They just shoot from the hip and they don't, they're irresponsible about what they report. We don't do that. We vet the stories out. We read the books. We go over the videos. And there's a lot of planning that goes on. And, uh, and whereas many radio programs book their guests uh, 24, 48 hours in advance, we book months in advance. So we're very careful about how we select. And a year ago, we were scheduled to have Jesse Jackson on as guest. And the night before, we were told he was getting on a plane to go to a foreign country, and they were canceling. And this is after all the affiliates throughout the country had promoted his interview, and, and, uh, and, and we had prepared, and so on and so forth. So now we're almost a full year later. And I'll be darned if I didn't get the call last night to say, well, he can't do the full hour. And I'm sorry, you know, you guys know me. I'm pretty, I'm pretty fair-minded, calm individual. I pride myself in being a, a, a good science geek. Except but, when goaded. 
I, I, I tell you, I flipped my lid. I said, this cannot be happening again. This is like the, you know, the ninth time my husband cheated or the, you know, the, the 14th time you caught your kids stealing a buck out of, out of your wallet. I, I, I go, are you kidding me? And of course, the first reaction that a lot of people had was, why did you, you know, why did you schedule them again? I don't think this is Jesse Jackson. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lay the blame where I think it is. I think it's his camp. I think it's its handlers, and I hope Mr. Jackson is listening because, you know, I, I'm telling you, we're we're, uh, we're we were disappointed to get that call so late in the game, and yet uh, because he, his interview had been promoted, we 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 went through with it. Well, Go, I think that was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do. It was Governor Christie's people, not Governor Christie, who pulled off Bridgegate, but Governor Christie chose those people. You are responsible for your people. Earlier, Rebecca, you were talking about the exemplary job that your people do for you. If there was a problem there, you'd address it fast because they need to serve the people that well, you Well, they represent me. With. Exactly. Well, and and, and, have, and, and my brand is me. Perhaps I don't have another product. Perhaps, the, re- the, perhaps Rebecca, the Reverend the, might make a change. And Rebecca, the reason I, I brought it up. I would urge you to do so. The reason I brought this up is because uh, our listeners probably don't realize this. Uh, they hear us in their individual, where their favorite radio station is across the country. But we have over 100 affiliates that, that take this nationwide. And I, I felt that we should explain, you know, that, that we promoted this uh, interview. And, and The we- bottom line is this. The bottom line is, is that as hard as everyone works here on the Costa Report, we do not control our guests. And I would never want to give the impression that we do. And However, we shouldn't. But if you look over the past five years, right? If you look out over the past five years, I'm going to tell you, the number of guests who had to cancel or not show, three. Mm-hmm. Three in almost six years. And guess what? Now it's five, and twi- two of those were Jesse ja- out of Jesse Jackson's camp. So mm. I don't I, you know, I, I know what you're saying, Charlie, but I, he hired those people and he trusted them. But they do a terrible job scheduling. And more importantly, they don't respect other people. Because when you respect other people, this is not how you treat them. You don't blindside them with 24 hours notice no, saying, oh, we won't be there. I will say this, uh, getting off the subject. We did have uh, the Reverend Jackson for about a half an hour. And he, he answered some pretty great questions, which I guess we'll be addressing in the, in the second well, hour. Well, in the second hour, we're going to talk more about what his positions are. And the fact that uh, when you really look at virtually every metric... Right, yeah. that means anything, yeah. and I'm I'm mm-hmm. talking about the Pew Research Center. I'm not talking about some uh, homegrown organization reporting some poll. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about scientific research, virtually on every metric that's measurable. The black community has slid backwards yes. under President Obama. And that's now, a this horrible statistic. Not, this it was is? nothing that anybody imagined. No, I I, I thought for sure when we elected our first. African-American president that that he would make sure that that it that times were changing. Unfortunately, the policies that he has pursued, these policies of the past, this uh, Lyndon Johnson war on poverty, let's have more uh, programs type of approach, rather than addressing systematic problems in the community that, for example, Daniel Moynihan, a good liberal, urged addressing many years ago, he was one of the one of the people who came along at the time and said, no, this is not the road to go down. Yeah. Time has proved Dan Moynihan and other people who felt that correct. way correct. And, you know, the we hear, oh, well, the uh, war on poverty programs, all those programs, good intentions. What is the road to hell paved with? That's right. Well, that's right. And, uh, but, and you now know, the but, black but, community is living in that hell that those programs have created. It's horrid. Now, we're going to have yeah. to uh, bring the first hour to a close. But I know you two will be joining me in the second hour uh, on the last of uh, the last half of the second hour and we'll continue this discussion because it is important for us to look at what has happened to the black community and to separate symbolism from actual progress and i think that that distinction is the responsibility of the media that we better be reporting not just the taking down of the confederate flag and but, the electing of a black president but we better be reporting on what it's like to be a person on the street of and, color and and not only just black america but but impoverished 
white America, Hispanic America, all the other colors of the rainbow, we're all in the same boat. You see this economy. Things are not getting better. For the last six years, this economy has been struggling. We have not had the kind of robust recovery we have traditionally had from deep economic troughs. And everybody is suffering as That's a result right. of it. You can no longer tell, hey, you want to do, go get a job. Where's the job? That's right. Well, Where's listen, the job? I, we're so, fighting for the jobs. So uh, we're going to have to bring this to a close, and then I'll, I'll see you guys during the second hour, and I appreciate you uh, pinch hitting here. Uh, if your station is leaving us after this first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Jesse Jackson today, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. And if you miss the full interview with Jackson or any of our other previous guests, remember you can download any episode of the Costa Report from our website, Apple iTunes, Podbean, and our dedicated YouTube channel, our, our web team has done a wonderful job of keeping uh, almost six years of interviews with some of the most memorable people in the world online. So uh, when you get to the Costa Report webpage, just scroll down and choose who you'd like to hear from. Uh, And if you have an idea for a guest, uh, you can visit our contact page and there's a place to leave your suggestion. And while you're at the website, take a moment to grab your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. This is the only book that connects the dots between how fast change is occurring all around us and the reasons for sudden unilateral collapse. According to Eric Schmidt, the CEO of Google, we're producing as much new data every two days as we did between the dawn of humankind and 2004. So just imagine the minuscule subset of available information on which we're basing important decisions, including policy decisions. Uh, Is it any wonder that uh, public policy is becoming irrational and leaders are continuously reversing themselves when they discover new information? Uh, So if you want to know what the three stages are to look for prior to the collapse of any great civilization, then don't wait. Grab your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. Just go to RebeccaCosta.com. And uh, speaking of uh, great programming and uh, all of the trials and tribulations we go through to bring that about, go ahead and mark your calendars right now because my guest next week was the former U.S. ambassador to Russia and special assistant to President Obama, Mr. Michael McFall. Uh, He'll be here to separate fact from fiction when it comes to Putin's real aspirations for Russia. Don't miss Ambassador Michael McFall next week on the only weekly news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 